podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky and there's Marie over there on the Zoom. Marie, what are you fearing today? Well, I have to say we had our annual uh, Christmas movie and I am fearing Wonder Woman. For yes. So bad. It was so long too. You know how I am about movies over two hours? I can cut 40 minutes out of any movie usually. This one was, there's 20 minutes there, there's 40 minutes there. It was the meh, mehest movie ever. It was worse than meh. I would give it a meh, but it it wasn't as horrible as everyone said. For me, I didn't think it was horrible. I didn't fall asleep though. Maybe if people fell asleep, they just missed everything. I don't know. Some people fell asleep. I was struggling not to fall asleep. Part of why I didn't like it, they had something going against them really badly, which is that the first one was like, for me, an A. And we had just watched the first one the night before. We did that thing where we watched it the night before. Mm -hmm. So I had that in my head. And I was like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. We didn't do anything on Christmas. We watched the Mavs game. They lost. I'm like, when can we watch Wonder Woman? And it was, it was a snooze fest. Yeah. And did you notice that that wishing stone looked like a penis? Yes. Well, Curtis pointed it out to me. I was just kind of sitting there and, you know, drinking my red wine because it's Christmas. And he, and he goes, why does that look like a penis? And I'm like, what? And yeah. then I really looked at it. Why did it have to look like that? It looked like a full-on penis. It looked like a penis. Yeah. Okay. But like, there were so many ridiculous things in it. Like when Wonder Woman discovers she can fly, which I don't know why that was such an impediment for her. The, the lead up to that was stupid. But she's trying to pursue someone who's going to destroy the world. And she's like doing these... <laughs> I know, different poses and somersaults and like I know it. back flying it was just dumb I know and the first movie I really enjoyed some of the slow motion like when we rewatched it Robin Wright was doing that up in the air backflip thing and then shooting three guys with an arrow right before the bad moment I love that slow motion stuff but this one had so much slow motion stuff I'm like am I tripping have I had drugs this is just going so slow why are we going in slow motion and let me just point this out. If fucking Chris Pine is my love of my life and he's been gone for a hundred years, the first thing I'm going to do when I see him is not stroll around the mall in DC and just kind of go, how have you been? I mean, can you believe <laughs> he didn't just like rush back to her apartment? Right, right. They were just walking around the, the mall and I'm like, girlfriend, have you, what are you doing? <laughs> see, this is, like, I, this is why I blame this on Patty Jenkins because here's the thing. I love Gal Gadot. I'm not going to say anything bad about Gal Gadot, but she's got to be guided. Yeah, she's perfect. She's yeah. perfect. But she's an actress playing a role and she needs someone to direct her. And if she's directed badly, I mean, even, even me, if I'm in a movie and the director is telling me to do stupid things and then they're going, no, no, this is good. This is good. I don't have any control over that. I don't have anything bad to say about her. I hope this movie doesn't hurt the brand because I, w- I would like Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman to stay around. I just feel like there's this movement in Hollywood to have more female directors, which I'm all for. There's plenty of crappy male directors that get jobs all the time, right? While I do think that women can direct anything a man can direct, you do need to understand the genre that you are directing. Which is a masculine like, genre, let's be honest. When it comes to the fighting and the action sequences and that sort of directing, the only female director that I know that has done a good job with that is Catherine Bigelow. Like with her. That's what author. I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. 
But I also, I also don't know who edited it. And if it wasn't Miss Jenkins, you know, if she wasn't a part of it, I blame the editor too, because she could have handed, you know, six hours worth of stuff to the editor and they just didn't edit it right. It was, they picked the wrong stuff. It was, you know, oh, we're going to show her flying for 16 minutes when there's no reason for that to even be a part of it. You know, the editing was, I always say like someone's too big for their britches if they edit their own stuff and don't know how to, how to kill their darlings. Right. Uh, but she seems because like the first one, she was so phenomenal. And Miss Jenkins, the first one, I'm telling you, A, please just know that that movie was phenomenal. <laughs> it was and, and not listened to the Love Actually episodes. You know, I have no problem expressing my opinion about films. Miss <laughs> Jenkins, that movie was awesome. But it's like Warner, Warner Brothers said, oh my God, the movie was the best movie we've ever seen. You can do anything you want. And she just said, okay, I'm going to film like I said, you know, 16 hours worth of stuff and it's going to be beautiful and mm -hmm. slow motion and romantic and we're going to stroll along the mall instead of going to save the world. And there are so many issues with it. I think Cheetah, we misused her so much. She did nothing. Why do we have to have more than one villain? It's like, take one villain and you can have a franchise that lasts till the end of time. Doesn't anybody remember Spider-Man 3? There's like 16 villains in that movie and there only needs to be one villain per movie and it can be that story alone. Right. They try to do too much. And I'm picking on women, like, let's think about the Joel Schumacher Batman, which was a big debacle with George Clooney. Yeah. So I still think that we still need to make sure that the people we're choosing to direct movies are appropriate for the content. We could go on and on, and we might just put this on our website just as bonus content. But we could riff on this movie a lot, I think, because I... Yeah. Yeah. I haven't even gotten started on the Mandalorian in there. Like this is, <laughs> there's a lot there. <laughs> when you're taking on a known entity, maybe that's even a better way to put it. It's not just superhero movies because you could take on a superhero that's not that known in the zeitgeist and just go full on whatever you want, right? But Wonder Woman is like Superman and Batman and these classic figures and culture. And you've got to treat it a specific way. How did you feel about Aquaman? Aquaman was a decent movie, uh, but it didn't, it didn't move me. Like I wasn't well, angry I think, about I think it. It's like, I'm sorry, but I thought it was so bad. I thought it was almost like campy jokey, like the way the old Batman TV shows were, you know, with bam, pow. It was so campy and jokey and... Warner Brothers is struggling to compete with Marvel. Like Marvel's got it down. Like when you watch the the Avenger movies, that those are like the some of the best superhero movies ever made. Well, maybe speaking of the Mandalorian, maybe the you know the reason why is because John Favreau knows what he's doing. He really feels like when you watch the Mandalorian, which I hope you love as much as I do, and if you I don't, do, that's a whole other episode we gotta talk about. Okay, when you look at what he did with Avengers and what he did with. Um, I mean, speaking of Elf from the other day, like he fucking did Elf. The guy knows what he's doing. Right. Like he knows the mood and the tone and the moments and the beats. He knows how to edit a movie or hire people who do. So that's, that's important to me. Good people are good people regardless of their gender. Like I said all the time, there's tons of crappy male directors. Christopher Nolan is one who I think is too big for his britches because after The Dark Knight, now, studios were like, you can have anything you want. And then he started doing these three-hour nonsensical things and nobody reined him in. So gender doesn't, you know, it can happen to anybody. And her first one was so good. And this one was not. So what are you, uh, what are you fearing today? Besides the penis wishing stone. <laughs> you think they'll sell those at like Hot Topic or something? Like for your mantle? <laughs> the next time you come over, I'm going to have the penis wishing stone on. What would you wish for in your penis wishing stone, Marie? That Patty Jenkins would rethink some of the choices she made in Wonder Woman. 
Can you get a re-edit of Wonder Woman 84? <laughs> Coming your way this Easter or whatever. <laughs> Am I going to spark off like the end of the world with my... I swear to God, you probably just did. If anybody's listening to this, which we hope you are, they're probably like, she just said bad things about women directors. No, listen back to the whole thing. Um, so what I'm really fearing other than penis-based wishing wells is creepy disappearances of women. For me, I really don't, don't tend to enjoy those unsolved mystery. Not, I love unsolved mysteries because those are usually more than just one aspect of a, where is this person? There's always some other factor. But I have been fascinated by some of these unsolved women's disappearance cases. One of them dates back to the 90s and one of them just happened literally in my neighborhood in Dallas a year um, and a half ago. And so these cases are fascinating to me and so eerie and so creepy and just with no resolution. How do you feel about Unsolved Mysteries? The show and the idea. <laughs> I like Unsolved Mysteries, the show. I do think that that sort of idea of someone you love just vanishing or you yourself vanishing is definitely something that creeps me out in a big way and yeah. for for a variety of reasons but like myself I'm surprised I haven't gone missing like the fact that yeah I mean <laughs> the fact mean? that we have GPS now probably has helped helped me from going missing <laughs> oh do you get lost you don't know the good sense I of direction get lost all the time oh, okay okay even with GPS like I don't go hiking by myself because I know I will just get lost and get eaten by a bear or something and then just think like I go hiking I get lost and eaten by a bear and everyone thinks there was foul play and it just turns out and then James I, goes to prison and it's right, all right <laughs> I, I wonder how many people just they're hiking and they slip <laughs> off of a precipice and then get eaten by animals and everyone's like yeah the husband did it and it's just your poor sense of direction <laughs> that killed you <laughs> so these have uh, upset me and disturbed me and kept me up at night and there's one of them that I'll start, I'll do, I actually just now remembered my, the one that bothers me the most. I can't believe I'm just now getting to this. Do you know the Jody Hoosentrout story? No. So I'm not going to hit every last detail because the dates and everything doesn't stick with me. But this story has been featured on a lot of, um, I think Unsolved Mysteries even, but it's been featured on a lot of like Dateline-y type shows. And every once in a while, it'll come back up because, oh, there's a hint about what happened to her. And we know that this guy had a, we're going to drug, you know, like they drug, dragged, drug the bottom of a river. You know, like there's like all these new things that come up. And so one of them is um, the, the Jody Who's in Truth story is, I think it happened in, um, I'm going to get the dates wrong. So let's say 93. And she was a morning news anchor in a small town in Iowa. And she always had her assistant call her to make sure she was up because you have to be up at like three, you know, to get there, to get your makeup at four and five and six starting or whatever. Her assistant called and she answered. She was running late. She says, I'm on my way. And she um, was never seen again. And so when she didn't show up, her boss and people from work checked in on her. They went to her apartment. And this is part of the thing that is, is so chilling is that her car sitting in the, her apartment parking lot had its door open and her belongings were strewn across the parking lot into what was obviously whatever vehicle took her away. I mean, it was her purse, her whatever, the car door was open and she has not hide nor hair been seen since. And um, it's 
so creepy and so horrifying to think that you can just be plucked out of wherever you're living your life. You're just gone, you know? Mm-hmm. That story has stuck with me. I first saw it when I lived in LA years ago. And I've looked her up periodically, you know, I've just like, whatever happened to her? And then every once in a while, she'll show up on a murder show. And then recently there was a, there was like an older man that she was seeing who's, she was in her twenties, I think late twenties and he was in his forties. And they were like, we're going to investigate him. And we think something happened with them and nothing. It's still just nothing. Stories like that keep me up at night. I just want to know what happened to her. I want to know where she is. The unresolved part of it makes me just were there uh did do you know were there any like serious suspects or was it just kind of one of those things where literally nobody knew anything nobody knew anything and it was only after a long while this was back in the 90s so it was like somebody had a video camera maybe and then somebody realized that they were filming out at the lake on a boat and she was on another boat or something like that and so when footage like that comes up people will go and figure out what date it was and there was like a weekend before she disappeared she was out on this guy's boat and he was really interested in her, but nothing ever happened because it's one thing for her to have an older guy interested in her. It's another for her to disappear off the face of the earth because there's not evidence of stalking or letters or, or creepy things where he would show up and she never expressed to people she was worried about her safety. Mm-hmm. It was just, it's just gone. So I'm assuming that some of the other ones you're going to talk about, they do have suspects are all the ones you're talking about. Yeah. Like literally no suspects. No, there's suspects in some of them. So I became obsessed with this movie uh, in the 90s. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called The Vanishing. You should watch as soon as possible, the Dutch. Okay. The movie had a huge impact on me because the way it sets up at the beginning is you have a boyfriend and girlfriend. They've clearly living together. They've been dating for maybe a year. They get in their car to go on a holiday. It's like a biking trip. And they're driving out into the middle of Dutch countryside and and whatnot and they stop at a gas station the girlfriend goes into the store to use the restroom so he's doing gas he pays and you can easily insert yourself into this like driving to Texas or anything like that after he pays he goes out to the car he waits he waits he waits and then it's been like 30 minutes so he goes inside he starts looking for her finally an hour passes he busts into the women's restroom she's not in there cut to Five years later, she was just gone from that uh, gas station. But he's basically been on the news and he spent his whole life trying to search for her. Another movie that comes to mind, uh, the movie Room with Brie Larson. So the J.C. Dugard is what that's based on. Yeah. Yeah, and J.C. Dugard was, uh, she was like 11 or something. She was standing at a bus stop in the morning. Yeah. Again, just into thin air. Like. How do you live with that if you are the parents uh, or the or the boyfriend or the loved ones of that? That the unresolved nature of that makes my skin crawl. It just and, makes my skin. and just to take it even even closer to home, I'll give you a personal story, which is when I was like twelve years old, my sister worked at this one place near my house. I'm walking to my sister's office, and two guys in an El Camino pull up to ask me for directions they asked the wrong fucking girl for directions ladies and gentlemen they did not know who they were dealing with (laughs) and the guy kept saying something like i'm sorry i don't understand he was like trying to get me to come closer to the car and i went a little bit closer to the car and he grabbed my arm and he started to open his door and i 
took my like my hip and just slammed the the door onto his foot because he was getting out of the car he was going to gank, gank me into the car and i just hit the car onto his leg and he cussed at me and called me a bitch and i ran like carl lewis to my sister's office <laughs> uh, i mean i've told you this before like are you flight or fight and i'm flight like the minute something like this happens i get a shot of adrenaline and i just like fly <laughs> through the air yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many other times in your life have you felt pure fear like that where it was life or death run probably twice and I did have that that feeling you know of that's it's kind of like you feel it in your heart oh yeah no you have on your stomach but it's just it's a full body experience that yes. this is not yes. so I didn't know I was going to take this detour but I'm going to take this detour because I feel it's irresponsible not to. Okay, did you ever see the movie, one of my favorites, Almost Famous? Yeah, um, I love that movie. So Philip Seymour Hoffman, when you first are introduced to him, where he says, here's an opinion you can disregard. So I'm going to say that. This is an opinion you can disregard, that you're not fight or flight necessarily. No one is. Right. What happens is your intuition grabs you and tells you what to do. Because in that moment, it's never just fight or flight. There's a lot of other options. There's stand your ground. There's hide. There's there's all kinds of other options than, than either fight that person or flee, right? Your intuition is telling you which the right answer is. And so in those moments with you and that dude who was like, what did you call him? The shit slinger or whatever? <laughs> the mad shitter. The mad shitter. <laughs> the mad shitter, which was in one of our previous episodes. But also made Marie run like Carl Lewis. Between that and then the guy in the El Camino, your intuition was telling you what to do because there are certain times when it is stand your ground or it is yell at the person or it is engage or it is, you know what I mean? And so like, I don't think that you're one or the other. I think you are in tune to your intuition enough that, that your personal safety is like, bam. And you go, okay, I'm listening. Let's go. <laughs> you know, and then you sprint away. So I think that's incredibly powerful that you listen to that. Because so often women will go, well, and I want him to think I'm rude or I want him to blah, blah, blah. Fuck him. Who cares what he fucking thinks? He grabbed your arm and asked for directions from a child and that's never normal yeah. or a guy's shitting in your doorway or whatever. So I have a story I'll tell in another episode of when I had a guy in Dallas who literally got into my car and I mm -hmm. had to confront him to get him out of my car. But that's another story for another day. But I'm glad that you survived your El Camino crisis. You know, I was thinking about what you just said, because my mom used to be church secretary in this rough neighborhood in, in Waco, Texas, and the building was always getting robbed. I mean, she had a woman, like, briefly hold her at knife point in her car, <laughs> like, stuff like that, you know. Whoa. But yeah. same thing, there was a guy from the church that ended up living in her attic, and she didn't know. Living in whose attic? My mom's attic. Yeah. This guy had some mental problems. My mom was nice to him. And so she was like conflicted when she found out he was living in her attic. How the fuck did she find out he was living in her attic? Her washer and dryer are in the garage. So you have to go out of the house into the garage. And he was coming down from the attic one night, which is in the garage. Marie, she... how is that not the most terrifying thing anyone's ever experienced? I've heard of people living in people's houses and in people's walls. I've got a story about that. She went inside and called me and James and said, this person is in the garage. What should I do? And I'm what? like, call the police. <laughs> 
Well, I don't want to get him and meet him and is like, hey, what's up? Do you need some laundry done? Because I'm going to be inside. No, making- she ran inside and locked the door and called me and James. And then she was like, well, I don't want to get him in trouble. And I'm like, he needs to be in trouble, mom. <laughs> Rosemary, that guy needs to be in trouble. I don't know. I'm, I'm out of words. I'm stuttering. I'm so out of words. How did I not know this story? Jesus Christ, I thought I knew you. You think you know a person. Oh, I, could, I could tell you more on this particular topic, but continue. Okay. I don't want to derail us. I've already derailed us. I don't care. Continue. So, so when you were asking about suspects, in one of the cases, which has haunted me for many, many years, there is a quote-unquote person of interest, but it's very unsatisfying because the person is dead. And there's nothing more you can go and and seek from this person, right? And one of the reasons why this person is a suspect has to do with the prison, uh, because he was already in prison, of course, for another rape. Right. But it has to do with like a prison informant, which you never really know if you can trust. And then um, this person had a tangential connection to other people in this particular case. Have you, Marie, ever heard of Ireland's Vanishing Triangle? Yes, I have heard of Ireland's Vanishing Triangle. Ooh, okay. So there's conflicting reports. One of them is this really poorly edited abcnews.com website on the uh, Vanishing Triangle. And I say poorly edited because if you read it, there's misspellings. There's uh, homonyms that are used incorrectly. And after I read it, I finally realized, oh, this is just a transcript that nobody edited from Mm -hmm. a news story from 2000 or whatever. And so between 94 and 98, conflicting stories will say that between six and eight women between the ages of 17 and I believe 31 vanished. And when I say vanished, I mean someone plucked them out of earth and they were never seen again. And one story in particular, her name was Deirdre, has stuck with me for years. She's a 19 year old woman who was in one of these small small towns outside of Dublin And there's all this documented based on security surveillance of where she spent her day. So here's her walking in front of a store headed to, you know, her grandmother's house. Here's her blah, blah, blah. And here's her. So there's all these documented places she was right up to the moment she went missing. And so she walked down a country lane to her parents' home where she lived. And the last she was seen, she was standing across the road from her parents' home by neighbors looking left, right, whatever you do in England, I guess it's right, left. And like she was headed across the street to the drive of her parents' home and she was never seen again. And it, it all happened outdoors, right? So there really wasn't anything It all anything happened outdoors outside. with witnesses and, and this one was in broad daylight the entire time. Now, between six and eight women, depending on your source, one of them had disappeared at nighttime, daytime. One of them disappeared from her bedroom in the middle of the night, a 17-year-old. One of them, the very first documented one was a woman whose name was Annie and she was from the US. And she was seen out at a bar. And I looked up this bar, by the way, it's called Johnny. I'll have to find it again. It's so cute. It's just, it's in this Ireland countryside, like nestled into the base of these mountains. And it's so adorable. She was at this pub that's been around for 200 years. And she was seen there with a man, but no one knows who he was and she was never seen again and her mother was coming to visit from the states and she uh, had two roommates she was planning a dinner party that she's hosting the next night 
and her friends show up and she's not there. So they know immediately something's wrong. Call the police immediately. Her family's on the plane. Search, 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 months, 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 years, 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 years. Not one trace, not one trace. A few months later, there's another disappearance. You know, I mean, disappearance after disappearance of absolutely no trace. And they have had lead after lead of, oh, I heard somebody talking in jail that, that he threw her in this lake. So they'll troll the lake, but there's nothing, uh, nothing. It's, it's a period of four years. And after about the third or fourth one, everyone started saying serial killer. I mean, this can't be a coincidence. And it is hard to get my head around how you can be there in one second and gone the next. You yeah. are standing in your, about to be in your parents' driveway. And people see you there and you're gone. Where did she go? Yeah, it's this is a tough one because, you know, when there's cases, what they call them no body cases, then no body cases can easily be solved with circumstantial evidence, um, DNA evidence, or I was reading about one case where a woman went missing and it turns out that she was in a rivalry with another woman for the affection of this man. And so the woman that ended up killing her took on her identity on social media and did a bunch of stupid things that just oh. led you to believe, okay, yeah. Or, you know, the guy that, that kills this woman keeps some trophy of hers or lumen all the room and there's blood. But when there's like absolutely no evidence and no suspect, it's impossible to solve i would think yeah the stranger murder the stranger kidnapping is almost impossible and there is no crime scene we have no idea yeah did deirdre disappear from her parents driveway like that seems insane when people were standing outside in their yards or in their gardens as they say in the uk you know and you're out there or in ireland sorry it's not the uk and you're out there and you see her and you say hey deirdre and then you find out later she disappeared that minute, that second. Those are so inherently just really creepy. And frankly, those are the cases that intrigue me the most in terms of if I want to be a cold case detective, that's those are the cases I want. Like, I want to solve Jody Who's in Truth. I want to I want to find Susan Cox Powell. Do you know that one? Josh Powell's wife that he murdered and hid and he killed himself oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and his kids. Like, I want to find them and I want all the cases. Like I want my entire house filled with boxes from these cases <laughs> and I want to comb through every minute of video yeah. of interviews. Yeah, it's pretty maddening. And I think it's pretty maddening for family members too. I recently watched that John Grisham inspired documentary, Innocent Man. John Grisham seems like an a-hole, but. Totes. Did you just say a-hole? Don't say a-hole. <laughs> I know. I fear cursing on this podcast for some reason. He's trying to terminate. I have no such fear. Yeah. Which is funny, right? Because I'm just, I'm like a sailor in real life. But I've got this like weird e alter ego on our podcast that doesn't want to, that uses things like fudge and a-hole. <laughs> I know. You said frickin' the other day. And I'm like, who the fuck are you to say frickin'? <laughs> I know. I know. So John Grisham seems like a major asshole. And everything I've read about him, everything I've seen with him. This is one of those cases where somebody that is an asshole is super righteous and has the ability to move things that other people can't move, right? So he's just happened to take in some ownership within the Innocence Project. I think if you are an asshole, you can still aim your guns at something righteous. Yeah. 
So good. I want him on my team, you know, like that's who you want on your team. So I have a lot of family in Oklahoma. So this story was interesting to me. It comes from a book called The Dreams of Ada. Two really horrible murders happened in Ada, Oklahoma, and four people that were convicted, two separate people for these different crimes turned out to be innocent. So there's a lot of corruption in the Ada district attorney's office and police force. But these were horrific crimes. And in one case, the guy that did it, they knew he did it, but he was an informant for them and he was selling drugs to them. That's kind of the implication. They framed this other, these, these other two guys, one of which had a mental disability and nobody liked, and they just framed him for the murder. Um, but then in the other case, because in the beginning they thought maybe they had a serial killer going on. I think there might have actually been three murders in the area. Who were the, who were the murder victims? One woman had just turned like 21. She was a, a waitress at, the, at a bar in Ada. I mean, everybody really liked her. She kind of had a promising future. She was just like a sweet girl. And she went home one night and somebody went inside and they raped her, mutilated her, raped her with different objects. I mean, it was brutal. And then wrote things in blood all over the house. Yeah, it was, it was. I can see why the police would want to give a pass to the guy who did that to frame another human, right? I can see why you'd let that go. Uh, But the other one, this was the one that stuck with me because of the disappearing thing. Her name was Donna Denise Haraway, and she was a store clerk in Ada at a convenience store in 1984. But how many murder shows begin with that? Yeah. She worked at a convenience store in the overnight shift. Oh. Yeah. She was a young college student. In fact, they interviewed some of her college professors. She was like really smart, did well in school. She was kind of like the hometown girl that's going to do big things. Well, one night, uh, these two guys pull up to purchase some stuff at the store, and they see her leaving the store with a man. The man's, like, got his arm around her and drives away in a truck. So they go in the store. They see see, see that the store is empty. They call the police, and then the ball gets rolling. There's this guy in town the police don't like. His name is Tommy Ward. The police pick him up. They get Tommy Ward and this other guy Carl Fontenot to fabricate a story and eventually to confess to a brutal rape and murder. In fact, there's this one moment that's kind of a righteous moment for one of the guys because Tommy and Carl are confessing based on what the police are feeding them. And the police also want to get another guy, this guy named Titsworth, that was his last name. He was a Native American that the, the police were harassing. The two guys said Titsworth did this, did that. Well, when they went to go arrest Titsworth, it turns out that he had like a broken arm or a broken leg from being beaten up by the police a few nights before. So he was home with his mom after she picked him up from the emergency room. So he had a pass there. But from there on out, they're fabricating evidence. They get these two guys arrested. So the the woman in the convenience store... She was never found. For many years, she was never found. The two guys gave this detailed description. I mean, it's very detailed of like gang raping her and stabbing her, like what she was wearing, like down to this lavender shirt with little flowers on it. I mean, it was really, really detailed. 
And so, of course, they got convicted. They went to jail. That shirt, ladies and gentlemen, is important. Yes. Because when they find her body, like, 10 years later, out in the woods, skeletal remains. And she's wearing, like, a black and red striped shirt. She's not wearing the little flower thing. There's no evidence she was stabbed. Somebody shot her in the back of the head. I mean, her her remains are, are completely destroyed, so there's no way to know if she was raped. Yeah. There was another woman that was murdered in that area, too. But the man that killed Deborah Sue Carter knew her, went to school with her. But in the case of Haraway, nobody knows. They have some people of interest, but at this point, I don't think they could get a conviction, even if those people did do it, because the police department and the district attorney is just there. It's so tainted. They just basically go to the poor side of town and round up people that they consider to be ne'er do well. So Donna, you know, who was walked out of that gas station. I remember seeing that on some shows and reading about that. And the thing about that is, as long as I'm giving interpersonal safety advice, (laughs) you feel like you need to be compliant with the people who are, you know, holding you at gunpoint or telling you blah, blah, blah. But ladies and gentlemen, girls, peeps, kiddo, don't ever go to the second location. You make your stand there. Because if you go to the second location, you're dead. Make them fight you there. I'll tell you that, and then I'll tell you, listen to your intuition. But your intuition ain't never going to tell you to get in that car with those fuckers. So this is the one that I've been fascinated by that I really wanted to get to that happened in Dallas, in, essentially in my neighborhood in April of last year. And Actually, I'm going to go in your neighborhood. A mile from my house, there's a bar and a restaurant that is the best Tex-Mex in Dallas, which is saying a lot. Shout out to Ebar. I will put the link on our website. Ebar is um, the best Tex-Mex. It is the best. Everybody knows it. And it's in the neighborhood of Uptown in Dallas. And so um, my sources for this, one of them is from the charlieproject.org. And then there's a really cool uh, YouTube channel from someone named Alyssa Ellen. And her thing is called True Crime History on YouTube. And these are all going to be on our fearofthispodcast.com website. And there's another one called disappearedblog.com and this happened in April of 2019 and the the story is going to sound convoluted because it is convoluted because there's been very little evidence that's put together in any sort of a timeline other than that true crime blog that I just told you about the YouTube channel that I told you about she must have spent days piecing this together from all these publicly available reports but it's so confusing as to who did what and what went where and who called who and all these things. So I'm going to hit the highlights of what happened and why it's so fascinating to me. So E-Bar is a mile from my house and it's in Uptown Dallas. And it's off of a street. Is it off or it's on a street? No, it's on Haskell. I don't know if the official address is Haskell, but it's on a street called Haskell. 2019, uh, April 17th, Prisma Reyes was was at work she she had a few different jobs and this day she had dropped her son who was six years old at the time off at a babysitter in east dallas she lived in a suburb of dallas called mesquite which is a good 25 minutes from downtown so you take i-30 and then you you head to mesquite so she dropped her son off in the morning and she went to uh work at a i don't know what she did at a car dealership she worked at a car dealership so when you see the surveillance video of her, she's wearing like her work, like polo, you know, the little khakis and a polo kind of outfit thing to work at a dealership. And so at noon-ish, 
that day, she leaves work and she goes to ER and she's on the phone. And this woman spent more time on the phone than anyone I've known since I was 16 years old. Because when you, when you go through the phone records, she was on the phone almost constantly that day. Hmm. She starts on the phone. She's talking to an ex-boyfriend of hers who lived three or four miles away. And within an hour or so of her uh, calling him or of her showing up at the E-bar, uh, he shows up. And she's on the phone with another person at this time. And I think the records pieced together. It was a man, but it wasn't somebody, it was a boyfriend type guy. It was just a guy. So she's on the phone when he gets there. They get into a little bit of an argument. He stays a little while. They get into more, a worse argument. She continues to drink. And at some point during this interaction, he leaves. She stays at Ebar for a little while. She's on the phone the whole time. She's calling multiple people. At one point, she leaves Ebar and goes into the parking lot where her white Jeep is. She sits in the white Jeep for something like an hour on the phone with her son's babysitter. Now, the babysitter has not revealed that conversation at all. The babysitter has not talked to the press and whatever that she has talked to the police about, she's not, it's not been made public. But it was a good 50 minutes-ish, close to an hour of her being on the phone with the babysitter. So at some point, she makes her way back into Ebar. And she either keeps drinking or has had enough drinks that the people at Ebar say, you've had enough, and they cut her off. She's been at E-Bar drinking off and on since noon, and it's 4.57 p.m. So they tell her to leave. They don't want to serve her anymore. And one of the reasons why this story is fascinating to me is I have a connection because of E-Bar. Okay, so when we went there one night, I think we met up with people, and one of them told us about this girl had gotten kicked out because she was so belligerent. And we're like, really? Well, what happened? Well, what well, apparently they kicked her out, but she got in her car and drove off. And she was so drunk that the people there called the police and said, like, you need to go stop this girl. Like, this is, find her. Well, you can see on the surveillance video, she leaves E-Bar. She's so out of control, her Jeep hits the curb and all this stuff where she's headed down Haskell. And we're like, that's really weird. A few days later, it's on the news that she was never seen again. Wow. So here's what happened. The bar staff kicks her out. She drives off and runs over the curb. She heads a little less than four miles down the road. Ebar has called the police, but they don't see her at this point yet. But she gets into a road rage incident a few miles away from Ebar. These three women in a car call the police and say, a woman in a white Jeep has waved a gun at us in this road oh rage gosh. incident. A gun. Yes, a gun. And a Prisma. She does have a licensed gun in her car that she keeps under her front seat. So the police show up to this road rage firearms incident, but the woman has driven off. So if you're at Ebar and you're headed down, it's like four miles to get to I-30. And when you get to I-30, that's how you go to Mesquite, which is where she lived, right? So she gets to this area of this, this intersection on Main Street in Haskell, where she gets into road rage thing. And then based on phone evidence of her being on the phone constantly and her phone pinging, she heads to Mesquite, but she doesn't get there. She turns around after 10, 20 minutes and comes back to the uptown area of Dallas. She goes to her ex-boyfriend who just had lunch with her apartment. And you can see the surveillance video of her Jeep pulling up outside of the opening to the parking garage, but you had to have a key code or a pass to get in, right? It's all secure. 
Well, she pulls up outside of it and doesn't try to get in. She just waits. You can see her waiting. And then at some point she parks in the street, two cars go in and she gets out of her car and runs in under the thing before it closes. And then she goes and stands next to the elevator. And this is all on surveillance. She stands next to the elevator and she's calling, she's on the phone. <clears throat> so between the 457 and 547, all of these things have occurred. Gets, she's drinking, she gets kicked out of E-bar, she gets in a road rage incident, she drives almost to Mesquite, drives back, gets under her boyfriend's uh, apartment building door and is standing by the elevator. Well, the problem is to get into the elevator, you also need a key card. Well, she can't and the surveillance video you can see she's just standing there on her phone and the phone record shows she called her boyfriend like a dozen times off and on. This is her ex-boyfriend, right? Right, her ex, her ex-boyfriend. And here's one of the things that's really weird is she called a guy friend of hers from Florida and the guy friend of hers reported to the police after he found out what happened that when she called him, she was so out of it. She didn't know where she was. And she kept saying to him, tell me what apartment you're in what's your apartment number how do i get up and he kept saying i'm in florida what are you talking about and she goes come on joe or whatever the ex-boyfriend's name was and he goes i'm not joe he goes you think i'm joe and she's really confused and so because he had friends in dallas he goes stay where you are i will send a friend to come pick you up because it's not safe for you to be whatever you're doing right now and he said ping me your location because I don't know where you are and you don't know where you are. He tried to talk her through like a Google map ping so somebody could find her. And she couldn't even do that. She was so out of it. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the last time she was seen on, on, on surveillance video or whatever. The only thing that happened subsequently is, and the police reports are spotty on this in terms of what's really been released to the public, is there are a few people who reported that they saw someone look like her on the elevator, but there's no camera in the elevator. And one person reported they saw her on the fifth floor of the apartment, but there's no video up there either. And that she looked upset and crying, but, but there's no actual proof of this because we don't know for sure that was her or there's no video evidence. And that night she didn't pick up her son on time. So the babysitter called her and waited and waited and called a couple hours later reported her missing. Well, her parents received a phone call. Her dad was out of town. He flew back or came back into Dallas and started looking for her. Her car was eventually found at the apartment complex of her ex-boyfriend too. And she has never been seen again. And she had a six-year-old son. There's, it seems like there's more to this story, but... I mean, there's no surveillance evidence of her leaving that building, getting into an Uber or something, you know? Like, there's no evidence of her leaving that building. So you think she was a victim of some sort of predator? I do. I think something happened in that building and she never left. That's what I think. That's just so frightening. Like, yes, as women, we do have to be on our guard. That's why I always say I had a a feminist instructor in college. A guy in a guy in class was complaining about uh, women falsely accusing men of rape. I mean, oh, yeah, stop. And my professor said, without missing a beat. As long as women can't walk the streets at night on their own, men are going to have to worry about being falsely accused of rape. That's just how it works. That's the, that's the yin yin yang. You want women to stop falsely accusing? Then you put an end to it, dude. All the dudes need to put an end to it. I don't want to hear about this anymore. Yeah. The people who should be the most offended by all the men who rape are other men who don't. Exactly. Exactly. So I started researching creepy disappearances because there's so many 
creepy ways that people disappear. I mean, there, there's a documentary that came out recently about the the guy that jumped out of the airplane, um, DB Cooper, yeah, uh -huh. DB Cooper, and like all these people that claim they're him. And James is like, probably that DB Cooper just died, and all these people are just claiming they buried him and they've never found him. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, how common is it for people to just disappear? Well. Sometimes people disappear because they have like brain trauma and they just wander off and then nobody finds them. I mean, this particular website had a bunch of examples. There's so many examples of people just randomly going missing. And a lot of them are young women and children. But I just made a short, a short list, and there's even more of people who went missing and were found, which is highly, highly unusual, but it does make you think like. Uh, Elizabeth Smart, obviously, and then there was the three women that were being held by that guy, Ariel Castro, Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Georgina Jesus. Stephen Stainer. I read about one that I hadn't heard about. Uh, her name was Nugin uh, Van. Her parents will probably never forgive themselves for trying to teach their daughter a lesson about missing curfew. In 1992, uh, Nugent's parents locked her out of the house after she failed to come home on time. So she decided to go to a local bar with some friends, and after accepting a ride with an older woman, they found themselves in China. On the threat of her death, she was sold into marriage, and she remained married to her captor for 20, 21 years before she escaped. Yeah, I mean... I guess it's just kind of the luck of the draw. I broke my parents' rules all the time. Thank goodness I wasn't sold into a marriage. And I mean, how horrible. But you, um, there's there's just so many, many examples like of um, women that get kidnapped and there's stories that maybe they're still out there they're sold into slavery or or you hear about, you know, after years they're being they've been found so it makes you wonder how often that happens and the person just never gets found right that's, yeah. that's even more horrifying to me than just like can you you know you, you go missing because you're murdered can you imagine you go missing and and now you're someone's captive and nobody even knows your name much less that you're there no that's yeah it's yeah. horrible yeah 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 Anyway, Merry Christmas, everybody. So did you ever listen to the podcast, The Teacher's Pet? No. Now, I believe that were the people who created that podcast to do it again today, they would not name it that because it's a very ill-informed name because it denies the predatory and rapist culture surrounding why this particular girl was called Teacher's Pet. Got it. Okay. But it is, it is a story out of Australia. It's like 30 something years ago. This man um, was a, a PE teacher at a high school in Australia or a coach or whatever. And his brother was too. They were identical twins and they were famous for being, um, I really don't even care, rugby or whatever the fuck sport people care about in Australia. God bless Australia. Listen to us, but I don't know what sport this is. I think it's rugby and they were famous and then he retired and became a, a high school teacher and he was slutty and hoary at the high school and predatory not just with, like with other teachers but he would like seduce his own students and stuff well he was married with two little baby girls and one day his wife disappeared into thin air 
And two days later, he moves in his 15-year-old student into the house who becomes his live-in lover. And the police did that thing that a lot of police forces do and said, well, maybe she just disappeared on purpose. She wanted to disappear. Instead of looking at the huge swath of evidence of this man was having these affairs. This man had seduced and sexually abused his students. He, he and his brother had both been doing that. Apparently, a lot of faculty at this terrible high school had been doing that. They've since, I think, shut down the school. Sounds like the keepers. Yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar. And there was a, a gathering of the people who had been students at the time that this occurred in recent years and they interviewed him on this show and one of them referred to it as a disgusting school like these predators were allowed to roam freely in the hallways and seduce their students and this was early 80s and i remember i remember coaches being that way with girls i remember that i remember thinking and not even being alarmed by it that it was like a thing you know like oh he's doing it with her or you know um and there's a lot of theater teachers who are married to former students or who were married to former students well you know that didn't wait until they were done with high school i mean they were they're predators we didn't call it that then but my point is in terms of missing people he obviously killed his wife and got rid of her body in such a way that they've they have dug through his old home they've dug through everything they can find they they have there was a pool put in and they dug that up i think and like all these things and as far as i know right now they never found her but they did arrest him finally for her murder like a year ago. And it has been since, it's been like 35 or 40 years since he actually did it. And I know that you just said there's a lot of evidence online of people who investigate it, but people disappearing out of their lives who have small children who just choose to go away, it is so rare. Yeah, some of the examples that I've heard of are women who are in abusive relationships that just take off and change their identity. But even that is rare. The majority of women end up staying in their relationships and getting killed. And for the most part, very rarely do they leave their children behind. They just very rarely do. So this is a little confusing, but the FBI has statistics on missing persons. And it says here that in 2019, as of December 31st, 2019, there were nearly... 87,500 active missing persons records under the age of 18 account for 35%. Uh, 44% of missing persons are people under 21. But then it also says during 2019, law enforcement agencies across the country entered more than 609,000 missing persons records. During that same period, the agencies canceled more than 607 records. So is that maybe just the number of missing persons reports filed and then they're found the next day? I think that's what it is. I think that there are a lot of missing persons that get resolved. But the mm -hmm. number of active missing persons records was 87,500. And the majority of them were young people. I They're the most vulnerable. That age and that you know situation of your life, you're the most vulnerable if you try and either run away or... Right. bad things can happen or even if you're walking to your car right you're the most vulnerable it's not something that tends to happen to men i want, I want you to those of you out there like women are not unsafe go fuck yourselves because how many men are kidnapped and their belongings strewn across a parking lot from their car to wherever the van was that took them how many cases are there of that out there how many 
Right, right. It, it definitely, it's the thing we were talking about. The majority of serial killers tend to be men. I'm sure there's other things we can point to that women do more often, but. No, they, women passive aggressively do things. They're not going right. to be the, the aggressive serial killers. Right. Sorry, ladies, but. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure women like destroy people's lives online more often than men do with like gossip and. <laughs> yes, again passive aggressive that's, right, all. that's right. what we do that's how we roll right so um okay i'm ready to wrap this up but we have a promise to our listeners and i actually had somebody ask me the other day when are you going to read the reviews uh on, pod, pick, on apple pick, Podcasts? Uh, let's pick maybe one or two to read yeah let's just do two we don't have that many okay. we need more so ladies and gentlemen we promised we would read the reviews and we're going to and I'm going to read the one that's t- at the top because it addresses me personally and i think i know who this is from But if I'm wrong, Lindsay, then somebody who's not Lindsay, tell me, but I think this might be Lindsay. Okay. Absolutely love this podcast. Thank you. Extremely smart and witty. Thank you. Years ago, I took both of the classes Becky, that's me, was offering and still to this day, I use what I learned in those classes in my life. I got to tell you, Lindsay, if that's not Lindsay, tell me who you are. That makes me so happy. And I'm so happy you found this podcast because I get to keep talking and making all kinds of hot sports opinions. Becky and Marie, misspelled, but I love you anyway, have great chemistry. Yeah, we do. And I'm happy I discovered this podcast because it helps me get through my work day. Aw, can't wait for more episodes to come out. Woohoo! And that is from Rainbow Sprinkles 21. Rainbow Sprinkles 21. I When I first saw that, I was like, hey, Becky, did you have anybody in your class with the last name Sprinkles? Although, if anybody has the last name Sprinkles, name your kid Rainbow, because that will make me really happy. All right, I'm going to read a review now. This is from Dr. Donkey Man. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. So witty. So much fun to listen to. And I love the eclectic tastes on what scares you. Keep the new episodes coming, please. Yay! Thank you, Dr. Donkey Man. And we will definitely keep the new episodes coming. We will try. And we will do all kinds of eclectic tastes on what scares us. What scared us today? Oh, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Wonder Woman scared us. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you, Rainbow Sprinkles. Thank you. What was it? Donkey Man? He's not Mr. He's Dr. Donkey Donkey Man. That is very, very important. Yeah. All right. So you've been listening to Now Fear This. Please go to uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give us five stars and give us a review with a weird name now we need weird handles for people who are giving us reviews next week we will definitely read an email or two from a listener who has fears they want to share with us and go to our website fearthispodcast.com and subscribe there for exclusive content that will change your life it is completely life-changing guaranteed